0: Welcome to Behind the Name Tag More Than a Coach with your host, Vanessa. On this podcast, we talk about who your coach is when the name tag comes off. What makes this coach tick? How did they get started? And what kept them going? What coach inspired them? Do they have any passions outside of coaching? And most importantly, what do they want their legacy to be? Tune in. To behind the name tag more than a coach welcome back to behind the name tag more than a coach why coaches are humans too on this podcast we interview coaches across the nation to find out who they truly are and what makes them tick And today we have on Jamie from Dublin, and it's always funny to me when I say that name because when I read Dublin, I obviously immediately think of Dublin, Ireland, (laughs) but Jamie, have you ever traveled before? Have you ever traveled to Ireland before?
1: Um, I love to travel, but I've never been to Ireland, but it is on my bucket
2: list.
0: Yeah, same here, same here. And it's such a bummer right now because I'm, you know, I'm a person that has a really strong wanderlust for traveling, and obviously everything is on hold right now, but if you could travel anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to go probably Iceland. Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Iceland is definitely on my list as well, and I, I, I still stand by, you know, New Zealand is one of the most beautiful places on the planet I've ever been, and I would literally go there in a heartbeat and live there. <laughs> but, um, so Jamie, where, where were you born and raised? So I am an
1: Ohioan at heart. I was born in southeastern Ohio in a little town called McConnishville. Um, population 2,000 people. Um, the, the funny thing is, I, I live in uh, around Dublin now. Um, but growing up, I I lived in a very poor community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up uh, under the the poverty line. I'm not ashamed to talk about that now. Um, I love my small town though, and it's still very near and dear to my heart. Um, I try to go back at least once a month to to visit my family, and it's just it brings me back down uh to reality when i get to go back there and see where i came from and then where i'm at now
0: right and i know that you you told me something that was pretty interesting about your upbringing that's not very common. can you kind of start talking about that with us
1: yeah so um, i am very much the daughter of uh one of the strongest women that i've ever known and she's my mom um, I'm probably biased in saying that she's the best mom in the world. Um, <laughs> from a very early age, I never had um, a father figure. Really, growing up, um, I have an older brother, and he he filled that that role um, pretty well for the most part. But honestly, it was my it was watching my mom go to work in the morning, um, come back home, make sure I, I was. Uh, fed and on to my next sporting practice and then watching her leave to go uh, Work another job in the evenings and I thought that was just the coolest thing ever like my mom gets to go work through the night and Now as an adult I look back and we have conversations and I realized it was because she was trying to give me Everything I could possibly want she never wanted me to feel like I was without anything um, even though to the other kids I was going to school with it looked like I was hurting for a lot of things. Um, But I never felt like that. And my mom had this circle of women that she still to this day, her best friends, um, that helped her um, throughout the course of my upbringing along with my my grandmothers who were two solid pillars in the community. Um, So it was just really a a village that it took to raise me. Um, So I'm very fortunate for the upbringing that I had.
0: Yeah, they always say that it always takes a village to <laughs> raise raise a kid or multiple kids. I definitely think that you know my mom. My mom was a neonatal nurse practitioner growing up, so she. So I definitely um, remember her working through the nights because she would always have you know 24 or 48 hour shifts, sometimes longer than that. And the impact that it had on me was like, damn, like my mom, quote unquote, wears the pants. Like she, like she doesn't mine being a boss lady um, and just working her ass off. But what's funny is that I never really felt like I had an absence of her in my life. Like my mom and my dad are very different. My mom would bust down the door and be like, tell me what's going on in your life. And then my dad would be like, no, no, like leave her alone. (laughs) Like he would be like a little bit more quiet and reserved. and if you ever like really got to know me, you would understand that I have a little bit of both in them. I'm a little more a little more introverted. I like to study people and then but if you get me in this type of like one on one conversation, you would never think that I'm introverted because I could like talk your ear off
1: exact <laughs> same way that I am. Um, one thing special about my mom and I is that even though she was working constantly, I don't even want to think about the hours that she put in week over week. I never, same way as you just said, I never felt like she wasn't there. Right. Um, I was, she was always there when I would wake up, when um, she would put me to bed before she would leave at night. And I always just felt like I had this security blank with my mom being around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Still to this day, um, I just turned 31, and she's still one of the first phone calls that I I will make if something's going wrong in my day, or if it's going great. I she she's the first person that I want to tell about it.
0: Yeah, see, I like even as you said that I'm smiling because last night, you know, when you just have those days where you're like, I could really use a mom hug right now. Like you know, you just need that like <laughs> maternal touch to like, God, I just had a hard day and I just need a mom hug right now. Um, so it's fun
1: at uh, the beginning of November, <laughs> I became a statistic of 2020 and had COVID, oh. uh, and I, w- all that I wanted was my mom just to, like, <laughs> to tell me if this was going to be okay. Uh. I remember calling her, like, four or five times a day, and she was almost in tears on the other end because she couldn't take care of her baby girl, oh. and it was, oh,
2: still
0: brings tears in my eyes. Yeah, it's just, it's so funny the things that stick, right? Like you you talk about being sick and kind of wanting your mom and like that immediately reminded me of like anytime that I even remotely feel like I got a like scratchy throat or something like that or I start to kind of get a little bit sick, I always do the standard things that she did when I was younger, which is like you got to have the grilled cheese, you got to have the soup, you got to have the grapes and like the diluted Gatorade. <laughs> like it's just so funny because like even if you know – you know better to have maybe a little bit more nutrients (laughs) to getting better. You're like, no, I I want things that, like, settle my soul, like chicken soup for the soul. (laughs) Us as
1: fitness and nutrition professionals, like, we know better than to
0: have this. I'm still going to have them. Yeah, it's still just, you know, it just soothes some part of deep start, you know, childlike aspect of, you know, of your soul. It's so funny to me. And I also yeah. hear that, you know, like, so I'm from, I'm from Austin, right? And it's a, kind of a hippie town, and it's part of Texas, but it's really not part of Texas. So when you were telling me about this part of your um, high school upbringing, the 4-H program, I was obviously a little last. So I would love for you to tell me, um, let's tell, you know, the audience a little bit about that aspect of your life.
1: So I didn't realize this wasn't something nationwide, um, <laughs> but for. Um, obviously, the 4-H is, um, they stand for something. It's head, heart, hands, and health. Um, so it's really, from an un, a young age, we, um, I, as a part of this community, felt like I was being developed into something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot of community services. We did a, um, a lot of different projects and things. Um, but we always had, so we had uh, county fairs that was kind of the showcase of all things 4-H. Um, so it could be through like little projects, baking, cooking, livestock, whatever it was that was kind of your niche. That's where you showcased your projects and um, how far you had come in that year. Um, so from as early as five, uh, I was in 4-H, I was deep into it. That's where I learned um, at the, an at the early age, a lot of the leadership skills I still have to this day. Um, and for me, I went more of the uh, hands-on so I showed cattle throughout the course of my upbringing. So I was a dairy cow um, showman or show woman. Now is the proper term, I guess. Um, so that was that was a guiding post for me to the point of where I really felt like I was serving a bigger purpose than just showing a cow at a county fair. Right. A lot of people look up to um, the livestock uh, show, show people and like wow I really want to aspire to be like them someday. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna, I don't want to just do this arching and craft and say that that's all that I contributed to the fair that year. I want to do something more. So that was always like I, that made me feel really good. It made me feel like I really belonged to something to a community um, that it was a lot of like-minded individuals, which right. I find carries me over into my professional career now.
0: That's so interesting, because as you you said that I was trying to search for something that felt a little similar to that in in my experience and upbringing, Um, and all I can kind of think to relate is, like, striving to be the captain of your athletic team. Like, I remember being part of a select soccer team growing up, and that's all I wanted to do was I wanted to be you know, valuable enough to lead and to make an impact in my team. And I might've not been like the most skilled individual, but I had the best interest for my entire team. And I knew how to like bring balance and discipline and leadership and accountability and things like that. And it's so interesting to think about such a mature aspect of growing up, um, you know, in middle school and high school and even, you know, elementary school or whatever, you start seeing those, like, little mannerisms and personality traits of, like, what kid is going to do what <laughs> whenever they get it's, older.
2: <laughs> the
0: thing I loved
1: about the program and the community is that we were all equal. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't matter if you were male, male or female, black, white, whatever. It's, mm-hmm. We were all the same person. We're mm-hmm. um, all um, equal in the eyes of our of who was judging us or um, our troop leaders or anything along those lines is that it didn't matter who you were.
2: Right.
1: Especially coming from a small town where um, I, I grew up with some bias uh, mainly because I, I didn't go to school with a lot of kids. Um, so to know that I could go be a part of this community that was from counties and counties around us, it, it just felt good to be a part of that.
0: right? Yeah, I definitely, I connect with that in the sense that I started in a Montessori program uh, when I was, or Montessori school, whenever I was um, in Austin. And they blended a lot of the grades, they blended a lot of like the teachers, you call the teachers by their first name, like if you know anything about Montessori education, it's all like the choice of the child. And um, this particular school I would definitely say impacted the aspect of like my studying people and kind of like but also just welcoming all cultures because we always you know got introduced to every single worldly culture um, holidays, you know food appreciation things like that, and it's interesting because a lot of parents sometimes they don't think that it makes an impact, and I still talk about that elementary experience to this day, and I only stayed there from you know kinder to second grade. <laughs> And then unfortunately, in my younger years, I wanted to play a whole lot more than I wanted to sit down and read <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or play with an abacus to learn math. You know, so I wanted <laughs> so they had to take me out eventually. But it made it made a really deep impact in how I look at individuals and how I just interact with different, you know, worldly um you know different cultures different backgrounds and things like that so it's it it is very meaningful um and i hear after high school too you kind of got into the medical and clinical interest of humans but it evolved into kind of like where you're at now with you know studying movement and psychology so what can you expand about like when that switch happened and kind of your experience through college
1: yeah so i would say going into college um being a part of 4-H, going to the high school that I did, um, being involved in the athletics, but also uh, the academic uh, clubs and whatnot in high school, I started to realize that there was something unique and different about me. Um, very similar to you, I wanted to I wanted to be able to help individuals, but I started to realize I really like studying kind of their. Um, The way they interacted with other people, Mm -hmm. the way they uh, carried themselves, the way that they moved their bodies and things like that. So going into college, I was very set on I wanted to be a nurse. Um, I think part of that is when you're from a small town, you you don't really have a lot of um, mentors that you look at. You're either working in the factories that are there, you're working in the school system as a teacher, um, or you're uh, in the nursing homes. Um, being an aide or a nurse in those regards so I spent a lot of my community service growing up um, spending time in those nursing homes and seeing um, some elderly individuals you know taking their last breaths and things like that and me realizing I couldn't help them at least in that regard I thought maybe if I got into a bigger city into a bigger program that I would be able to um, spearhead some of those changes I realized when I was it was my uh, fall sophomore year in college I was in a clinical setting for a uh, nursing class and we were at Children's and my heart just broke. Um, so I had I had seen, you know, when I was in the nursing home like these elderly individuals taking their last breath and then realizing like in the neonatal like you you can't help the little the little ones either. Right. Um, it it tugged on my heartstrings more than I knew. Um, would be a career that I could fulfill. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So I started looking at, okay, these are kind of my driving forces. What can Mm -hmm. I do that still fills my cup? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I took a psychology class and I fell in love with understanding the human Mm -hmm. brain. Um, And that led me into exercise physiology, uh, which led me into being a student athletic trainer at Muskingum University. So. That's kind of how I got into exercises and psychology.
0: Right. And then we got into your master's program, and that's also when Lifetime came into your life as well. So can you also kind of st- talk about, like, what did you do for your master's program? And how was that experience going to school and going and getting introduced to Lifetime?
1: Yeah. So uh, being from a small town, I, we didn't have any uh, health clubs, any fitness centers, any gyms around uh, probably within, now that I think about it, 30 to 50 miles. Um, so Lifetime was this like whole new thing. I loved working out. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be at least a member of an environment, again, like like-minded people. Um, I moved to Pickerington, which had a small boutique of Lifetime. Um, so I became a member right off the get-go, moving there. And then I quickly realized, like, wait, this is... This is one of these things they call a calling. Yeah. Uh, this. Um, so I was talking to the then PTM, uh, the manager there, his name was Quincy, uh, very inspirational in my beginning years at Lifetime. And he's like, listen, with your education, what's your passion about and where you wanna go, I think this would be a really good fit for you. So I didn't go through the natural uh, hiring process. Uh, he actually, my first interview is actually during my onboarding session. Oh. So is this us having a, a conversation with each other, which was great. Wow. Um, on as a metabolic specialist, um, the same time that I was starting my master's program in the evenings at Ohio State at the Ohio State University. Let me get that correct. Um, so I started as a metabolic specialist, and it was it was a really cool job. Um, what I started to realize is I don't really like the sales aspect of it, though. Yeah. Uh, so I started to find my niche of training groups and being able to um, really bring what I had learned in college to life and then also um, thinking about what's my next step going to be. I think that's one of my my core values is I'm a visionary, so always thinking about what could I do next. So I was in my master's program for kinesiology and I loved it. Um, I loved studying the human body, but I felt like I was fulfilling that Duty to just say, "Hey, I checked the box and I got this degree." Mm-hmm. I thought that's what we were supposed to do next. Quincy um, quickly got um, moved up to a, a larger club in the Ohio area, and the PTM job became available. Mm-hmm. And I was the person that he told our GM. He's like, "Listen, Jamie's going to be your your girl. Um, you can groom her into the leader that you want her to be, um, and she's going to be all on board for it." So that's. I was lucky uh, in getting to become a PTM so early in my career, um, but also just so early in my, you know, post-college days.
0: Isn't that funny though? Something that you said right there—the check the box moment of your life. So like, you know, I always try to to look back at the, the lessons that I've learned at what ages, and I always look at twenties as kind of like making the most mistakes possible, <laughs> and kind oh, of like oh my. Course correcting, you're like, I wonder, like, so, okay, so I messed up during the 20s. Okay, okay, so I'll take those lessons, and I and I learned them, and then now we're applying them in our 30s, and then I'm thinking that when you're 40s, you start really thriving in life. That's just kind of, like, where I'm going. <laughs> I feel like... That is the road that I'm riding right now. Right? I mean, I just think it's funny that, like, where did these ideas, I mean, I know where they came from, right? But, like, where did these ideas come from that you're the have-tos and the supposed-tos and the the need-tos? Like, the it just it seems so silly because I feel like if we, you know, looked a little bit more inside ourselves and looked at, well, what actually genuinely fills my cup, you know, a lot of the longev- longevity of life is related to happiness and joy and fulfillment. And so, you know, um your the or the hero's journey, right? Like understanding like why you were placed on this earth, your purpose, your why. Those things if you could find them. And luckily, I felt like I I found that very early on in my college career, which is why I switched my major twice. Um and took the victory lap twice in my college career because I ended up finding kinesiology after, you know, going through education. Uh, and I was like, you know, I just I just feel like I'm, I'm placed on this earth to make people's lives better. And right now this feels right. And um you know, if, but if we, I feel like I still could have figured that out with or without college, but I'm grateful to have the experience of college. But does that resonate with you at all? Like that, that moment of like realization of like, I don't have to do this. Like, (laughs) what the heck?
1: Absolutely. From even just from a young age, um, I was, I don't want to say a perfectionist, but I set really high expectations for myself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's, that was the worst thing about it, though, is that I was never going to reach my own expectations. Yeah. Nobody else was setting these for myself. It was me. So I thought that, you know, the, the natural path would be, well, you need, to, you need a master's degree to, you know, become anything in this world. And looking back on that thought process now, it's like, who am I to think that? Like, I'm a great person. I don't need a degree to tell me that.
0: Well, yeah, and even in this day and age, I feel like experience speaks a whole lot louder than sometimes education does. Because you can have the most educated individual in the room, but especially with our field, if you don't know how to socially engage and understand a human or have any type of empathy, you're gonna struggle in our career, (laughs) like hard. (laughs) If there's
1: one skill that I would never want to get rid of, it's my emotional intelligence. Yeah, I don't. I don't. You would. You could take all my book smarts away from me, but I want to be able to understand and empathize with people.
0: Yeah, I was speaking on another episode recently that's already released um, about that, because I very quickly understood that the way that the education system was set up was not ideal for my learning capacity, and, (laughs) like, I just was not, I felt like I was just not good at school, and I hate even saying that again, because, like, I feel like I am good at school. I just wasn't taught the proper way that my brain, you know, learns. So, um, and that's why obviously kinesiology felt so much better because I could I could see and then do and then understand. Um, but yeah, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, where you're at in your career now with Lifetime. How did we get there?
1: So uh, I was a PCM for three years at a boutique club here in Ohio. And from there, I realized that the daily... The quote-unquote daily grind of being a portfolio manager in that capacity. All that I was doing was uh, running reports, um, fulfilling, uh, hitting revenue and sales targets and different things along those lines. Along the way, I fell in love with um, the concept of having one-on-ones with my team, though. Mm -hmm. I loved meeting them where they were at and planning for their future. I realized that when I was the PTM that I had six other uh, team members around me, and all of them were, one, they were better trainers than me, Mm -hmm. uh, two, they were better people than me, and three, that they had a a brighter future than I did. And I felt like it was my job as their manager um, and as what they viewed as a club leader to get them to where they wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. And I knew that at that moment, I was going through the motions, and I I had so many negative Outlets that I was uh, incorporating into my life at that time as well, uh, that I was no longer fulfilled by being a PTM. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find, I was searching for a, a job that could get me to the career that I wanted to have. I thought that, you know, being the MS and then going to a PTM route would be it. Um, but I realized that I wanted more exposure, I wanted to be able to impact more people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the area leads. Um, Offered me up the, the GTC position in Dublin, which was our largest club, um, still this day is our largest club in the market. And I, I fell in love all over again with my career, um, knowing that I was impacting um, then, uh, you know, 50 participants, and we grew it to over 300 participants in, in the couple years that I was wow. at GTC. Yeah. And I finally realized. I loved connecting with people. I was still able to coach the coaches up to being the, them, their best selves, um, but also I started seeing uh, other leaders were coming to me and asking for my opinion about things. Mm-hmm. They wanted my input about how to become um, better in their position and different things like that. So, that's, it's not the sense that I wanted to feel important. I just want to be able to make the impact that I knew I could make on, on individuals. And I, I got to do that through, um, you know, the connections, and I got to do it through the coaching, um, and really just having real conversations and letting those ahead of me know where I wanted to get to. Well, um, 2017, I mm-hmm. was fortunate enough to become a senior GTC, which. Just put me in another group of where of like-minded individuals. We got to uh, ping ideas back and forth off of each other. We were a part of some really cool rollouts that we had to the nation, and it was just really. I felt like that was uh, one of those tribes that I had been looking for.
0: Well, and you know something else that is really interesting about your story is the reason why you're so passionate with connection. And the reason why I know that everybody can kind of hear that humble humbleness from your voice and just you're, you're genuine, like you're, I just feel like you have a very kind soul, is because of your, your certain, your life experiences. So um, something I definitely wanted to share is not easy to share, and I appreciate you sharing. Um, about some more things that have happened to you in your life around 2017. Can you kind of share um, those experiences that was going on the entire time you were still trying to balance your career?
1: Yeah, so um, alcohol has never been something that I have viewed as, you know, my family having an issue with it or um, even I having an issue with it. Um, But then those might have been – you know intoxicated thoughts to have right uh, so you know growing up uh my mom would have a drink or two but like never really drank a lot uh my my mom and dad were divorced so i saw my dad once a month um you know she, he picked me up on saturdays at 10 dropped me off on sundays at six uh, but didn't really have much relationship with him um and looking back now i didn't realize it when i was growing up but he was he was drunk the whole time that i was there mm-hmm. um so that, that started to, you know, when I started thinking about it, it's like, okay, wow. So I, I was exposed to it there. I never really cared to drink in, in high school, probably because I was busy with clubs and sports and, and different things like that. But when we got to college, um, I pledged the sorority, which I would become the pledge educator um, and president of eventually, uh, again, for the leadership aspect of it. But I started realizing the social aspect of it was turning me into somebody I didn't even recognize. Um, both physically, um, obviously when you drink a lot of alcohol, you go out on the weekends, different things like that, you, you gain the weight. Um, emotionally, I was getting into the worst relationship possible and I only had myself to blame for it. Um, and mentally, I started to realize that um, I was developing a little bit of anxiety. Um, and really, I thought that I had to have this certain image, um, and I masked alcohol to give me that image. And it carried that that thought process carried me um, all the way into 2015. Um, I used to, you know, come home from classes and I would drink you know, a bottle of of Jack Daniels, and I didn't think anything of it. I'd wake up the next day, and I'd kind of go through my just the motions of everything. Um, And I would do that pretty often throughout the course of the weeks. And in 2017, um, I was in a a really dark spot. I had just made the change in my career from being a PTM to a GTC. Uh, That does come with uh, a financial uh, hiccup a little bit. And I just wasn't taking off the way that I, I thought that I would. Um, I wasn't showcasing all the talents that I knew I had. And on one night, it was a Friday night, I, I drank at a bar here across the street and I drove home, which was about 15 miles away. Um, that happened to be the same night that I completely totaled my car. I flipped. Um, side over side uh, 13 different times. And if it wasn't for two complete strangers um, breaking through my sunroof and and pulling me out, then who knows if I'd still be here today. Um, When the officers got there, um, I passed um, somehow a breathalyzer and I passed the field sobriety test. And they told Mm -hmm. me this is strictly adrenaline and you're going to feel it The next day, that's what the officers told me, and I just like, oh, I'm I'm invincible. Like I just survived driving drunk home. You know, I totaled my car. Whatever. Um, You would think that that would start to signal that, hey, maybe you should get your shit together. Right. Uh, You know, I I pulled back on drinking uh, quite a bit, but I was still navigating towards the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Um, I had cleared out a lot of toxic people in my life, but I I felt my myself. Wanting to navigate towards the wrong relationship still, um, and that ha- that continued to happen for the next couple of months um, until I finally realized I think I have a problem. Like I think I actually need to I need to stop breathing completely. Um, so in the relationship I was in at the time, I I got out of it. Um, I said I, I can't do this anymore because it's it's bringing up too many negative emotions and negative. Um, outlets for me mm-hmm. and I was actually um, we were across the street at Starbucks uh, with my now present-day wife um, she was our TDM at the time so I was a GTC she was a TDM so we were leaders together and she told me that she was thinking about moving to Colorado to Grand Open Flatiron and I told her I said I don't want you to leave because you're keeping me together And that's what realized that if you connect yourself to really positive people,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: really positive changes are going to start to happen. So when I proposed to Kelsey, I told her that you you saved my life when I didn't know I needed saving, Mm -hmm. and that was the moment that I realized that I wanted to get sober for myself, but I wanted to get sober because I knew I was going to. I wanted a future with that girl. Right.
0: And then you also mentioned too, like at, at what point did YTT come into your life in that story?
1: Oh, everybody needs to go through YTT. Um, <laughs> so
0: when I said I removed a lot of uh, toxic people from
1: my life, um, I, did that through, I did that as part of YTT. Um, I met all of my, my closest friends now uh, during that time. Um, and you could say it's because a lot of us have, like, um, you, know, you come to YTT with a lot of baggage, And you sit in your feelings and you feel it all um, during the the flows and during the meditative states and different things like that so I took YTT in uh, the fall of 2015 and that's when I started to realize that's when I cut back on drinking the the first time Mm -hmm. is I don't I don't need to be drunk to be able to have a conversation and connect with people I can do that in my sober state Um, and that that carried me on through um, really the back half of twenty sixteen when we were when we were done with y t t and i the only thing that I could pinpoint as to why I would still want to navigate towards uh like uh, drinking um a lot of other negative outlets was i I wasn't completely comfortable with who I was
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it goes back to I thought that my image needed to be one thing and it, I realized that it wasn't that and well if I could just take it till I make it that that'll carry me over and it took one of my, my closest friends at the time telling me like just calling me on my bullshit mm-hmm. like this is who you are this isn't what you stand for you've got to figure out you know who you want the world to see you as and then who, how you want to carry yourself mm-hmm. and she always told me nothing don't use the word should Right. Like nothing should feel this way. Right. Like you're, you have the the choice to how you're feeling and to how you're behaving, and the way that you're feeling and the way you're behaving is somebody that I don't want to associate with my life anymore. And it was it was that tough love um, that I needed to hear. And you know i I started just cleaning up a lot of um, how I was carrying myself, how I was treating people, and then also just what I stood for. You know, um, we always talk about being our best selves. Um, I realized that through YTT, I pulled back a lot of layers that I was ashamed of, um, and I didn't fully love my, myself yet. Um, mm-hmm. But over the years, um, all the obstacles I've overcome, which have pretty much all been self um, I can say today that I love who I am.
2: Right.
1: I fully believe in what I stand for, I fully believe in the relationships that I have and the the just the everyday conversations I have with people now are 10 times more genuine than they used to be.
0: I think that's it's so interesting that you know moments like that in your life come in certain packages and certain deliveries and sometimes it comes through a person, sometimes it comes through a book or a song or a podcast or something or a promotion or a you know a demotion like sometimes the things that we get we're not really prepared to receive right and it shakes us up and you know i remember that moment for me was whenever i stopped being fulfilled at my job at gold like i was striving i was doing all of the proper things kind of like you said like i was checking off like managing different locations i was managing i was certifying coaches across you know across the nation things like that and you know, I was trying to get the district position and then striving to get the corporate position, but I had always promised myself, I was like, you know, if there's ever a moment where I start not loving what I do and it bleeds into the, giving the a poor experience to the members, that's when I'll cut off, like, my job. Like, that's when I'll leave, that's when I'll step down, that's when I'll make sure that I'm not, you know, hurting the experience of the members. And what's funny to me now thinking about that is that I would actually suffer internally for my my experience and I was okay with that. And then I but if it would dealt with anything with making other people's experiences poor, that's when I'll stop, which is kind of backwards. Like I understand like putting others first, right? Like I've always understood that. But it's really like the sacrifices that you would make of your life and your joy and things like that, that, that that I feel like people need to sit with and understand a little bit more. Why are you willing to suffer in silence whenever everyone is deserving of and worthy of love and joy and happiness and fulfillment? And it shouldn't have to come at a sacrifice to, to get your career to the next level and you know, in between the time of being at Gold and being at Lifetime, I took a little, like, a two to three month span or something like that, where I consider it now, like, my little awakening aspect, you know, kind of like your experience with YTT, where um, I I almost, like, quarantined. (laughs) Like, I stayed inside, and I tried to journal, and I tried to try to figure out where my path was was you know evolving into did i want to reach people through a blog did i want to reach people through fitness still did i you know i was questioning literally everything and why i kept searching for things that were external validation of my of my worthiness and um that's actually what ended up inspiring me to start my own personal podcast 2 years ago you know a couple of days ago i just had my 2 year anniversary with my personal podcast and it's Anyway, it's the point is, is that I wish people would take a little bit more time for themselves to to sit with their thoughts and kind of understand where they're coming from and their coping mechanisms that you're speaking about because there is a reason why we choose you know certain pathways and there is a reason why you know people choose certain partners you know toxic partners um, whether that partnership means within work or within friendship or within an actual partnership and relationship. Um, and something very personal, you know, for me, I've been single for two years now because of that, because I know that the partnership and and relationship that you choose is going to literally impact everything. Kind of like you're speaking about your wife. And I just think that people should take more time to study their relationships and understand why we're attracted to certain aspects and qualities and, and, and almost like, um, just turning around and being attracted to the certain toxic traits like the healing aspect for for the longest time I kept choosing partners in my life that I wanted to heal because I saw potential in them I mean things that we do in our jobs (laughs) like so I was like how could I not see the synchronicity and the mirroring aspect of like what I do for a living and who I choose as my partner so kind of peeling away those certain layers has been really interesting and rewarding for me because, like you said, like doing that type of work um, or what people call the work, like it it's incredibly rewarding because I just feel so much more at peace. And yes, the work never ends, never ends. Um And you get, you know, some re-patterning behaviors and different habits that you kind of ended up getting triggered or showed up back in your life that you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I see you again. (laughs) Like, let's choose, let's not choose to have, you know, food or exercising until you're completely trashed, you know, uh, as your coping mechanism, Vanessa. (laughs) Let's, Let's kind of notice this. Um, notice this and figure out, you know, how do we navigate this? How do we not run away from, you know, the pain or let, let's sit with it, which I feel like a lot of times yoga tries to, to show you that aspect of being right. and just being spiritual in general. It doesn't have to be yoga. It just, it's more of just connecting with self and understanding and seeing yourself, you know, taking time to actually just look at yourself.
1: I think for me, um, when I truly saw myself for who I was and who I wanted to be, um, was a very hard conversation that I had with my father. Yeah. And, oh God, I don't want to cry thinking about this. Um, but we were out, I was back home and I was out to lunch with my mom and my grandma. And there there was a man sitting Um, over in the other side of the room at the bar and my mom said do you know who that is and at this point I hadn't seen my dad since maybe my sophomore year of high school Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I said is that is that dad and she said yeah and when I came out to my mom like she she loved it like she was she was ready to have another daughter she was um, you know, whatever I needed from her, she was there to to give me. Um, she loved me for who I was, not, um, you know, who I decided to be. And I, when I went over to my dad, and he, I told him the lifestyle that I was living. And he told me that he could never love a child that decided to live like that Mm -hmm. and the heartbreak that i felt in that moment but also just the sense of relief like i have never wanted to make you proud dad like you've never been the one that i've been trying to um you know to showcase my skills for Mm -hmm. like you have been a piece of shit my entire life and you're you're showing yourself right now Mm -hmm. and heartbreak but also just so much relief. And I knew in that moment that it was okay whoever I decided to be because I was never going to be him.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And it's it's being so bad right now because I can look in the mirror and I am identical to my father.
2: Right.
1: But I can look in my heart and I'm identical to my mother. Mm -hmm. And that is what matters. It's not the outside that matters. It's the inside. Right. That's so... That is, I would say that's when um that's when I was my my truest and realest self, and I was perfectly okay with who I was becoming
0: well, and that's such a powerful statement that who you who you are in your heart because I feel like you know you what you're saying is so meaningful because I know that there are individuals that can connect with that. I've definitely had my moments where I'm like, yeah, you cannot pick your family. And you cannot pick your experiences with your family, but don't let that limit and identify you as locked and saved. You know, like you can become whoever you want to become and you are who you surround yourself with. You know, your friends can feel like more family than your family does. And that's kind of hard for a lot of people to come to peace with because blood should be the thickest... You know, bonding agent ever. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I think that when you are starting to study and unpiece, you know, why your family is the way that they are, meaning like having grace and patience and understanding that their upbringing probably had a really big impact on how they speak to you or how they raised you um, or their absence what's more what's most meaningful to me is at least having forgiveness and forgiveness for sometimes situations that i never got the apology apology for and mm-hmm. and that's the the heaviness on your heart that you don't want to keep around you know what i mean like you don't want to have a heavy heart or have a heavy load on your shoulders because you're carrying the burden of your dna And I just think that some people that can just sit with that for a moment and realize that you're not your father, you're not your mother, you're not, you know, whoever or whatever experience you keep limiting yourself to believe that, you know, you're not worthy or you're not, you know, qualified, all of the things. Like, unmask that lie that you're saying to yourself and realize that you can become whoever you want to become and sit with your heart and sit with your gut and understand, like, you know there 's just so much more to you than your DNA and your limitations.
1: I could not agree with you more, yeah. that resonates so much
0: with me whoo that i like I appreciate you so much for sharing such a meaningful and hard topic on on multiple accounts. I mean that 's not easy for anyone, and I think you know all the while that you are sharing any and all of that is I'm just so much more reminded um, of our situations when we meet new individuals in lifetime. And that's one of my gifts is that I feel very uh, empathetic and very connective to certain individuals to kind of like sense their energy, like whether or not they are kind of a little bit more on a lower vibrational state or a higher vibrational state and kind of like what they're carrying is one of my gifts. I feel like I can always just kind of sense if people are carrying a lot with them. And um, I wish more people looked at members that way, as humans first. Because everything that you were talking about, you were simultaneously going through leadership processes and still trying to work out and still trying to balance having a relationship. I mean, there's so much outside of people's worlds that are going on than just okay, can you meet, like, your three workouts a week? Can you make sure that you eat, you know, all of your this or that or the other, right? Like, I wish people understood more aspects of the whole human in our, in our, in our profession. Um, what do you think is one thing that makes you so passionate about this career? Or does any of that kind of resonate with you about things that you've seen in your club?
1: I think what makes me passionate about... What I do day in and day out is one the members being appreciative of it. Of it. Yeah. They want to have conversations with us, and they want to they want to know how and why why they're going to get better. Um, we don't have those members that just show up day in and day out to just go through the motions. We're fortunate to have a club of driven individuals, and they they want to be their their best selves and. I think for the, the team members, um, it's pulling back the layers to be vulnerable enough to be your best self, not just meeting the status quo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think that's what makes me so passionate about it, is I love being vulnerable with my members. I love them seeing um, I have a very like, hard exterior, mm-hmm. um, but one of the goofiest individuals at my core, and I love showing that to them
0: so speaking of that being vulnerable and sharing your ultimate truths what are three truths out of all of your your living experience what are three truths that you you know to be true
1: uh the first one is uh the tattoos i have on my left forearm and it's begin again your breath your intentions your mindset reset and just begin again
2: mm-hmm.
1: um the second is pain is necessary Um, And I would probably take that a step further and being uncomfortable is necessary. And I would say if you've ever wanted to be uncomfortable, let's just relive 2020 for a little bit. Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the third one, um, which will be my next tattoo, is that love wins. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It'll always win.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that, you know, uh, the imagery of the phoenix is what I always think about. Like you, sometimes you have to... Realize that everything must burn before you, you know, are starting something new and you can actually begin. Like a lot of imagery that I give my clients is, you know, all of this stuff that you keep holding on to, you literally have a closed fist. So how do you how do you expect to begin again or receive any more gifts or receive a different life if you're constantly holding on to old patterns or behaviors or grudges or anything like that like a lot of the emotional aspect of transforming your life. So you must be able to let go and be able to receive all that, you know, life has to offer you in this new beginning and in this new, you know, evolving Um, you must be able to open up and that's hard for people to understand so I love that yeah okay so if we were to look at your life's journey and we were looking at your your impact on all of those around you including the many leadership roles that you've been able to to work with and work as what what do you want your legacy to be? Like, what do you want to be remembered for before leaving this earth?
2: Oh,
1: legacy is a, it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, first thing that comes to mind is to pull back your layers, um, expose who you are at your core, um, and then live out those core values and principles every single day um, in every decision and every conversation that you make. Um, so from pulling back your layers to seeing your core values, um, find a way to connect that to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful world that we live in and a lot of us see uh, black and white, we, there's a, but there is a beautiful gray area to live in. And I think that for, for me and for the impact that I've had with others, um, it's exposing uh, the beauty and that uncertainty of the gray area. And then from there is follow your purpose and follow your passion. Um, When you are passionate about something, it'll come through. Um, So in our jobs, if we're not passionate about having a conversation with the members, they get it. Um, They can see. But when we show up and we're excited to change their lives, they're gonna be a little bit more excited too. Mm
0: -hmm. Jamie, I can't. Again, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, this has been such a meaningful conversation, and I've had so many different like aha moments where I'm like sitting here, like, hey, wake up, <laughs> like you're on a you're on an interview. I just want to listen to you. You know, I just appreciate your words and your leadership, and just um, appreciate you know the things that you have gone through. But I know that you're making an an impact by sharing them. So, is there anything else though that you would like to share? with all of us before we leave today? No, I would just
1: say that uh, kindness is something that's missing right now in a lot of our communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it starts with being kind to yourself. So do something every day that makes you feel good about yourself, whether that be um, you know, going out for a walk, getting a workout in, meditating, uh, going through a yoga practice, uh, cooking, writing a note to a loved one, whatever it is, do something that makes you feel
0: good at your core. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely add to that and do something that feels a little bit more old school. I feel like people are missing connecting on a genuine basis instead of connecting digitally because I feel like that's all that everything is right now, is all digital. Yep. And we're we're missing a huge aspect of genuinely feeling each other's energy and connection and genuineness and just kind of that old school love like the the notes I love the notes I love going back old school and writing people letters or notes because I just feel like people understand that it just feels more genuine <laughs> you know absolutely I, I could not agree with that more Jamie thank you again and thank you everybody for listening to behind the name tag more than a coach where coaches are humans too I appreciate every human in their journey, and I hope to connect, continue to connect and shed light on how uniquely beautiful we all are. Our differences are what make us unique, but it's our humanity that brings us together. Stay healthy, my friends. This is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Thank you so much again for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We are broadcasting on anywhere you can find other podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and of course, Anchor, where we're recording this podcast now. If you really loved it, which I'm sure you did, we would appreciate a five-star review and a share with all of your friends. Until next time, this is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Stay healthy, my friends.